0: Hello everyone and welcome to today's webinar, it's just gone one o'clock, so I'm just going to give everyone a chance to join. Um, Do feel free to drop into the Q&A box and say hi. Uh, We've disabled the chat feature as we've discovered it can cause problems for some people using screen readers. So I can just see a few more of you have joined, so we're going to start the webinar now. So hello everyone and welcome to the fifth session in our Accessibility Insights series where AbilityNet's Head of Inclusion, Robin Christofferson, hosts a monthly online chat with individuals who are each working to improve digital accessibility and digital inclusion. This month, Robin's chatting to Christopher Patno, who is Head of Accessibility Programs and Disability Inclusion at Google. Um, I'm Annie Mannion, I'm Digital Communications Manager at AbilityNet, and I'll be running you through today's session. So, just to go through a few bits of housekeeping, um, slides are available at slideshare.net forward slash abilitynet and also on our website at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash insights Google. Um, if you have any technical issues and you need to leave early, don't worry, you'll receive an email in a couple of days time with the captioned recording transcript, and slides. And also um, depending on how you joined the webinar, you'll find a Q&A window. Um, so if you want to ask Christopher or Robin any questions please do drop those in the Q&A area for them to address which they'll do after today's session in a follow-up blog on our website. Um, Then we also have a feedback page you'll be directed to at the end which invites you to tell us about any future topics you'd like us to cover in our webinars so please do let us know. Okay, um, so now over to Robin and Christopher for today's webinar.
1: Thank you Annie very much indeed and an even bigger thank you to Christopher for joining us, uh, giving us some of your really valuable time. You don't get much bigger in accessibility in the accessibility world than Christopher Patneau. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: That's a horrible thought, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I consider Um, myself some some middling person.
1: Well, um, certainly, you know, from an accessibility point of view, Christopher has been massive, massively high profile um, in, in the years that I've known him. And Google are doing a fantastic job in accessibility. So maybe there's a correlation. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out today. So first of all, Christopher, I don't know why we always ask this question, but what's your poison? What's your beverage of choice to help you get through this ordeal? I've just got very boring tea. I think I always have tea, actually.
2: I'll have to do better. I'll have to up my game. Well, I, I'm meeting you uh, tea for tea. I'm, I'm using, because of where we are today, I'm using my Abbey Road Studio teacup. It is literally the smallest teacup that I have, but I'm drinking a tea from a restaurant that I used to work at when I was in university called The Good Earth. Um, those people don't know, I'm a failed musician, so of course I had to, to make a living by, by waiting on tables. And this is a black tea with orange and cinnamon and rose hips. It's, it's pretty garbage, but I love it.
1: Wow. What instrument did you fail with? Voice, actually. Okay. Okay, great. (laughs) Which is funny since I talk all the time. Yeah, well, you know, you've kind of put it to good use in another field. Mm. Um, Brilliant. Thanks very much. So, first question then. Um, So, Google, as I alluded to a moment ago, has always prioritized accessibility. You know, it's been um, amazing to see how the proliferation of your services have not meant that, you know, accessibility is left behind or excluded. You know, we're, we can come to the party at every step of the way. So I don't know if you want to comment on, on your kind of track record so far, but the main thrust of my question is, do you think that that ongoing prioritization of accessibility of digital inclusion has um, put you in good stead for the fallout of COVID and, and all that that's meant for your customers?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. It, it, there was no way anyone could have predicted what was going to happen. And, and it continues to happen on, on, on a weekly basis, it seems like. But it, in terms of the work that we've done with usability, I think it actually put us in a really good place, a really good standing with regards to COVID. For example, our, our captions in Google Meet have been a huge help for people who are spending a lot of time in video calls, whether you're deaf or hard of hearing or, or English as a second language. It's, it's really, really helpful another another one that's been recently released that I that I had a a neat conversation with a buddy of mine named Matt. He is deaf and he uses a Pixel phone and he uses the new feature called live captions for calls. And he used it to talk to his son recently and and, and put a lovely post. But we spoke last week and he said he actually spoke with his doctor on the phone for the first time. And because he could see the captions coming in, he knew what the doctor was saying. Because he's verbal, he could speak back and had a real live conversation with his doctor. And given how quickly things move with the COVID, I think not having to negotiate for a time for for, um, for someone to, to take the text, someone to, to take the call for him is actually something that is has a huge potential to make people's lives better and safer in the time of COVID.
1: And with projects like euphonia you know if you have a hearing impairment and maybe you have speech uh that's slightly off uh the normal you know slightly out of the ordinary then uh google's technologies are very forgiving in that regard as well so it's a it's a really powerful combination that you've got there so i mean it is a massive organization google and you know, i mean i'm think of AbilityNet and the challenges we have within this minuscule uh, organization that we are to, um, you know, keep keep our eye across everything that we do and make sure that we do things inclusively, both internally Mm. and externally. You know, what's your secret or how do you kind of meet that challenge even halfway
2: with an organization the size of Google? Well, I think the first thing to think about is that it's always a journey. The nature of technology and the nature of people's needs are always evolving so we may be in good stead today it, things could change tomorrow and, and we could have, it, have a challenge so i don't want anyone to think that we've got it made and and we we have it we have it solved because i think i think it's everyone's on a different part of the journey and even within a large organization different teams will be on different parts of the of that journey but within google I th- i'm lucky that accessibility is actually part of our mission statement our, 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 for those people who don't know, our mission statement is to take the world's information and make it accessible and useful. So th- that's a good place to start. Um, and in particular, over the past few years, we've really doubled down on building with people with disabilities. And I think this is a really important part of making products that really resonate and, and meet the needs. We have an ERG called the Disability Alliance. And it recently won the ERG of the Year Award from Disability In, a group here in the U.S. and because we have this relationship with, with our customers, because we have this relationship with ourselves, it, it gives us that ability to see what we need to, to do. When making bespoke products, we actually can very easily reach out and, and, and get honest, sincere feedback, whether it's good, whether it's bad. But when building, pro, pro, when, when building products, one of the biggest challenges you're going to have when building any kind of product, whether it's, it's accessibility or not, is schedule and quality. So if you can make the point and create the culture change in your, in, your, in, your, in your company to make inclusion a core part of how you build from the very beginning, you really reduce the amount of, of, of stress and re- reduce the extra time it takes at the end to make sure that these things are impossible. Um, I, I, I joke that you wanna do it early and often. You get When you're building something bespoke, for example, like our Lookout, you, we built it with people in the community, we built it with people who are blind of low vision, and they had insights that we didn't have, people who were who were fully abled because it's not our life. So when building with people of, of, of with building with people with disabilities, you create the products that's necessary
1: Yeah, with lived experiences so mm-hmm. and t- to what extent are you or are um the structures within Google set up to try and optimize what you do from an accessibility point of view. Is it about governance? Is it about processes and practices that, you know, kind of are built into people's day jobs or how, how does it work within Google? Is it something that, um, is a journey (laughs) and we're all on, on that journey? Um, do you feel like, you know, there's a level of accessibility, maturity
2: built into Google at this stage? I think with a, a company as big as ours, there are different organizations that have a different sense of maturity because it, it is as important in terms of leadership buy-off. If you have a leader who, who gets it, it's a much easier to have the conversation and make sure it's part of the process. When a new leader comes in, there's a re-education and a re-acculturation that needs to happen. But in general, I think we, it, it, it is a company mandate we have to build these things. we have to make them accessible, and it's up to each organization to prioritize and schedule it in to make sure that it happens. But it's something that's expected from our customers. it's something expected from from our Googlers with disabilities themselves. It's something that we just expect to do because it's the right thing to do. It's good business. All those reasons why we why we do it
1: absolutely, yeah, it's a challenge. it's an ongoing journey, but you know you can tell from what the products that Google produces that um that, that battle, that challenge is being won, or probably on a daily basis. So that's really, really good. Um, so going forward then, let's put Google to one side for a second. What do you think uh-huh. from in the accessibility landscape is the the future of accessibility? You know, is it more about um, AI, machine learning? Um, is it about better, you know, mainstreaming of inclusion in devices, in, in software? Um, is it about better tools for developers? Have you got any thoughts in that area? I
2: think I, I have plenty. Let me let me try to make the, at least a little coherent. Um, there, there's two important things that we need to do. One is we need to do a better job for regular products, not bespoke products, but regular products. Because as, as people get older, their needs are going to change. And many people, even with somebody that could be considered a technical disability, don't recognize themselves as being disabled. So they're not gonna go to the settings and find ability settings and find large fonts and make those things larger. Those kinds of things we should just do by rote. It should be just a part of the natural development process for mainstream application and mainstream experiences. They should just be made better. In terms of the more bespoke and exciting things, I'm getting myself here, but I loved the TV show called Star Trek The Next Generation. When I was growing up. When I was in college, we'd get together in the TV in, in the TV room and we would watch it. And Jody LaForge for me was a huge inspiration. <laughs> and I think those visors, as ugly as they are, this 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 beam that goes across your face that 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 gave him these superpowers, for me, that's the future. But it's not the future just for people with disabilities, but it's an opportunity to to up-level everyone. And then in terms of this whole equity versus equality, some people need a little more help to get to that next level. So here it's the combination of of augmented reality and machine learning where you have the ability to create something that makes everybody better. You have the the contextual awareness of say, glasses, or or I don't wanna talk about visors because I think those are dangerous, glasses that you wear. We, now, we know where you are, we know where you're looking, we know what's around you. We and, and if we do this in a privacy sensitive way, we can really make someone's life significantly better. Then you overlay things like computer vision and machine learning, and you can provide more specific details. Now you've got the opportunity for indoor navigation, outdoor navigation. Uh, you have the opportunity for live captions being projected onto a, a pair of glasses that you have. These things are, are are these things are the future. It is it is a when, not an if. And I'm really excited to be at a place like Google, where we're building the, we're building these building blocks that make that reality happen. I was really excited when Glass first came
1: out for the you know the first time round, and then super excited when it kind of reemerged. And I know that um, organizations are leveraging that platform now uh, Envision mm-hmm. AI. Those guys I know have been working with you to do a lot of what you've just been talking about, which is to, you know, leverage the, the full Android, well, the Android based platform that's within Google Glass to uh, provide a really good tailored suite of experiences that use the sensors, the camera, the accelerometer, etc, in ways that you just described, maybe not quite Geordie LaForge yet, but uh, us, we'll get there. Yeah, I have time. Yeah. I'm going to uh, predict that that Google will be first to the to the bionic eye table, hopefully anyway. <laughs> um, so talking about futuristic stuff. So Waymo, which is the mm-hmm. um, autonomous vehicle, the driverless cars. Uh, I want to say um, section of Google, but it's not. It's a kind of a spun off company that are all under the one company alphabet, isn't it? But so, yeah, the, That's the right. Google technologies that are in driverless vehicles and you know I don't know how many million or tens of millions of miles have been driven completely autonomously to date but uh, last time I looked it was several million um, mm-hmm. so in Phoenix for example you have a uh, pilot project which has now gone big time so mm-hmm. the driverless taxis whizzing around Phoenix in America are now open to the public for them to hail a ride which I'm Really, really excited about, so you know, what do you think um, actually, this came from Twitter. this was a question from Twitter um about driverless vehicles, and you know when are we likely I mean this is very timely, and it might have been triggered by you know the the waymo um, service being opened up to the public. When are we going to be able to do that on a street near us? you know how far away from really mature driverless technology do you think we
2: are? Given what's happened recently between Uber and the cabbies, I'm I'm a little wary to make any kind of prediction in terms of what could get what could make the cabbies' lives harder. Um, but I th- one thing I want to clarify is Waymo really isn't the car. Waymo is the driver. Waymo builds the driver that the car runs. So given the relationship that Waymo has with Jaguar, the the the, the company that the English company that does these the, these neat electric iPace cars. Th- we're already in a relationship with a company that could bring it into England. So I think one significant hurdle, who could we partner with that makes sense, that part's done or, or, or could be done if, if, if the need is there. The really interesting challenge though is, and we talked about this a moment ago, it's the machine learning, it's, it's the AI. Right now our AI is a trained to the US and it's a completely different driving experience than, than for people in the UK where uh, the, the sides of the road, the expectations, the laws, they're all different. So the, these ML models that have to be retrained for driving in the UK, and that's gonna take significant effort, both in terms of real world driving on the streets, but also in terms of the simulation. So these are these are all the things that would need to happen because you, th- these are the things that would need to happen before it comes onto the streets in, in the UK, because it has to be safe. Mm-hmm. The moment someone gets hurt from one of these cars, it, it, it's over. So this is why the Waymo company has been really, really cautious about driving this out, about rolling this out and making sure that, that it happens in a safe way that meets all of the needs. I have no real clear idea as to when. But What I can say is some of the technological problems we're trying to solve, like recognizing and, and seeing through weather, seeing through fog or rain or snow, these are things that, that are being worked on that will apply just as well to the U.S. as to the U.K., Mm-hmm. then the challenge is, how do you make it UK sensitive to the rules and the rights and the needs of the people of the, uh, who are on the streets? Yeah, I mean, Phoenix,
1: uh, I know, is just one area that um, a lot of effort has been put in into mapping the, the streets, the environment. And it's, it, you know, it has been recently up until recently in a kind of a pilot phase, massive data gathering and refining phase. I just felt like the, the fact that the, it had now been opened up to public hailing, a public service, speaks volumes because it does mean mm-hmm. it's ready for prime time, albeit in a, in a limited environment, for example, in those uh, issues that you flagged there about uh, delocalising it is a massive mm-hmm. task, but, you know, the kind of proof of concept has now been proven. I think. Yes. So, yeah, that's the really, really interesting bit. So brilliant question. Thank you. Sorry, I haven't got a note of who that's from on Twitter, but thank you very much indeed. So kind of in that vein, really, um, and I have no expectation that you will answer this question, this first part of the question, what you know? other secret new projects are Google working on at the moment that are going to be coming out in the future that will blow us all away? And if you can't answer that one, uh, what are you most excited about yourself, you know that you're either working on or have been working on in in Google. All
2: right. Well, I can't actually tell you anything secret. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's um, worth but try. I do want to. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> can't. It can't hurt to try. Um, one thing I do want to let you know is about some of the work we're doing in terms of cognitive impairments, because this is relatively new, and I'm, I don't know if many people, many of your users, know about this work that we're doing. So, in in the past year and a half, we've spun up a team we internally call it Maui. Here, here's your secret. The team that's doing our cognitive impairment is called Maui, like the island in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they've, and they've been partnering with trusted experts around the globe, like, like the BDA, the British Dyslexia Association, mm-hmm. and other experts, and to help us decide what are the kind of things that we want to solve in the future. I can't comment on any specific feature or app, but I'm really excited about this space you give, give you a sense, the same team, this Maui team, created an app called Action Blocks. And what it does, it makes routine actions easier with customizable buttons on your Android home screen. So Action Blocks can be configured to speak phrases on your behalf. It can be useful for people who, need, who have speech and language disorders, helping them to easily communicate during urgent situations. But it, it could also be useful for running commands using the Google Assistant. So I, I use it. I have one that says, text my wife, I'm coming home. And it has a picture of my wife. And I just click this button and it's done. I also use it for uh, turning off the lights. And these are just sort of curb cutty kind of solutions. But it, it is pro- profoundly impactful for people who have, who have needs where interacting with a phone is, is harder. And, and last month, we even released an update to this Action Blocks where after collaboration with Toby Dynavox, we added support for PCS symbols into the app. So people who use the, AA, the AAC devices, they recognize what these symbols are. The, the, the leap of what does this mean? What does it do has been eliminated because we're using the same visual language that they're used to. And we're gonna keep on doing this, building with experts, building and testing with people in the community. And until we create something that, that meets the needs of more and more people. That sounds amazing. And I'm assuming
1: that's within an app on your phone, for example. It is. It yeah. Is. And, you know, the, one of the real powers of Google, of Android, is that you can almost infinitely customise the, the look and feel of the device, you know, you can have a, a million different launches, you can really make the experience um, very personalised. So you know, this is within an app, and it's, you know, extremely um, powerful for people with AAC needs, but mm-hmm. you know, you could really simplify their whole phone experience as well for them navigating around, you know, much uh, in a a really powerful way for people that have more um, significant needs in this area. So that's, you know, really, really powerful. We're running out of time. Last question or last year. Thank you so much. Um, We'll finish off by flagging something that we do every time, which is that a previous speaker will pass on either a comment or a bit of information or a question uh, to the next speaker and then we'll ask you to do the same. So last month's Bryn Anderson of Sainsbury's um, was commenting around his uh, one-time aspiration that AI would, would kind of solve all the problems of inaccessibility and make in, uh, inaccessible UIs inclusive um, by magic. And that people wouldn't need to do anything; it would all be done on the user's end by um, superb AI uh, bridging the gap. And obviously, he doesn't necessarily think that's, um, you know, that's not going to happen. There's no silver bullet when it comes to AI. But um, yeah, have you got any comments on, you know, what you would see as being, uh, you know, that uh, how AI might be able to play a part in in helping bridge that gap and after that, I'll ask you about what you have uh, comments or question-wise for our next speaker.
2: Okay, um, I think one of the biggest challenges we're going to have to make this this reality that he wants to see is is bias in 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 the machine learning algorithms and in the data sets themselves. I mean, the algorithms are created by humans, and it's it's difficult to make sure that they're truly unbiased. And then there's the data side of the equation where. If the data we have isn't truly representative of, of everyone, there's no way that the algorithm can be trained to meet the needs of everyone. For, for example, a model may assume that a wheelchair will always move in one direction, say wheels first. So, but I, I know for a fact that some people will prefer to, to push themselves and go and, and what it looks like they're going backwards. Coming back to the Waymo thing, if we don't have a, a if we don't understand this the way uh, any self-driving car, not Waymo, I'm sure they've thought about this, but anyone who hasn't thought about this could think that the person is going the wrong direction. So this is the kind of, of bias and, and, and data, data that we need to have. We need to have something as representative of as, as, as much as anyone as we can. Um, on the positive side, to, not just to, to scare people, I mean, you mentioned euphonia a little bit earlier And for those people who don't know, euphonia tries to make speech recognition more robust for people with with non-typical speech patterns. And we've recently hit a really exciting milestone, a thousand hours of data. So this is, because of this, we can make our generic models more forgiving of of, of people's different patterns, but also, and this is what people tend to forget, it's now easier for someone who needs something that is not possible to be recognized by the, the generic model it makes it much easier to create a bespoke pattern, a bespoke model for their needs. So Dimitri, the first person who built the very first euphonia model, I think he did 30 hours of of, of sentences and, and expressions and things to t- train him. And and with more data like this, we should be able to have it be something that happens in 20 minutes. Again, th- we're not there yet, but imagine having the ability to talk to your phone and after 20 minutes of training, it knows exactly what you're saying. For me, this is is the is the magic of of AI, is when it has the right information to understand you and your context in a privacy sensitive way. This is is that magic bullet that Bryn was talking about. Yeah. So
1: the real power of AI isn't necessarily to sort out the the shortfall of the developer or the designer. It's to really empower the end user, and mm. you know give them the right tools that they need so that they can access the digital world but yep guys developers everybody you still need to do your bit thanks
2: absolutely absolutely brilliant
1: so very quickly then um our next month's speaker is marlin rig she's a leading accessibility expert particularly in law but you know just generally speaking as well in norway and norway are doing brilliant things in enforcement and shifting the needle when it comes to compliance um so yeah have you got any Comments for Marlin, off the top of your head.
2: Law, okay. Hi, Marlin. Um, currently <laughs> in the U.S., we have, shall we say, lax governmental enforcement in terms of things like our ADA and infor- and digital accessibility. But because of that, we're seeing a lot of a lot more lawsuits brought up by the individual. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, what's the right balance of government versus end user perspectives? Um, is it better to ask the individual to pursue or sue a company or is it better to have the government actively enforce these things i don't have a clear answer i'd love to hear what you have to say
1: brilliant really brilliant we will ask her next month christopher thank you so much really appreciate it hope it's got your day off to a good start and uh keep up the good work thank you very hey, much thank you it's a pleasure brilliant thanks and we'll hand back over to annie just to wrap things up thanks annie
0: So um, thanks, Christopher, and thanks, Robin. Um, I'm just going to um, take you through a few um, uh, bits of information about um, AbilityNet. And also, we've just had uh, loads of questions that we hope to answer online in the next few days. Um, And you'll receive an email with the link to access them. Um, Just to share some information about our accessibility training courses, Um, you can find out more at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash training. Um, You can use this exclusive 10% off discount code um, available to registrants of this particular webinar, which is Google Insights 10, the numeric 10. Um, Then moving on to the next slide. Um, You can also sign up to our newsletter um, for the latest announcements about digital accessibility, could visit our YouTube channel and download our podcast. We also have a suite of accessibility services and don't forget about our next webinars, which are available at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash webinars. And then finally, um, coming up soon, we have AbilityNet's annual accessibility and inclusive design event, which is from the 17th to the 19th of November. That's TechShare Pro and speakers include Google, um, Microsoft, Barclays, Sony, BDF, Corporate Tech, Jardu, RNB, BBC, and many, many more. Um, so please head over to techsharepro.com to book your tickets. So thank you, Christopher and Robin and everyone that's joined us, and we'll be in touch with you soon. Bye, everyone.
2: Thank you.